0: Hello everyone, I'm Andrés Vélez and I'm Máximo Cubillet. We're The Pearson Scoop, the ESA FinTech
1: podcast, where we talk about all things FinTech career. We're here today in the continuation of our series on ESA Summer Internships with Andrés Klein and his experience at BNC 10.
0: We'll be diving into his motivations to go into the sector, the recruiting process, what he did there and his reflections on the industry. Andy,
1: welcome. Thank you guys. Thank you for having me. It's great to have you here. So Andy, tell us a little bit more about yourself before coming to the MBA and and just a little bit about your history and your story.
2: Okay, great. Um, So I started getting interested in uh, financial services back in 2013. I was working in a small consultancy agency back in Buenos Aires for a project in the Santander Bank, which in Argentina is, is a pretty big bank. And uh, after working there almost uh, a year, I decided that uh, it was a pretty interesting um, environment and there was a lot to do, uh, mainly because it's, it seemed that it was quite a, an old industry trying to like dive into something new, into n- new technologies. And so that there was a lot of challenges to be exploited so i got the opportunity to um, join Itaú uh as many others here uh, at YSA. and um, while there i worked in different things i worked for for some years and uh, from projects uh, to digital transformation campaigns um, working in branches trying to get customers off the um, they stopped taking cash out of the, uh, the cashiers and going directly to atms uh, to reduce the cost, uh, unclutter branches, and of course, all, all that that means for these banks. Um, and later on, um, I had the chance of joining FinTech in Argentina. Um, it was uh, literally, it wasn't started yet. It was a FinTech owned by a uh, corporate group by home that is called Comafi Group. And they decided they wanted to build um, fintech or a company outside the bank that would adopt uh, these new trends that were out there in the market Uh, there uh, well i would talk about maybe the main products we had Um, it was uh, the first one was an alliance with paypal in order to uh, make withdrawals of cash uh, of Argentinians. that would sell through paypal outside the country so those funds would be stored uh, in the us in a bank over there and then of course to, to actually withdraw them to a bank in Argentina would require quite some financial knowledge to have an account in the states and it was quite complicated. There were some other alternatives but they weren't the great, they would take time, uh, fees would be pretty high. So PayPal has this arrangement of that does in certain countries when they don't actually have official presence. Um, they usually choose startups, fintechs uh, or banks I would say that would be the, the last choice. Uh, in our case, uh, there was a platform that was built. It was a web app that customers would uh, create an account. They would log in with their PayPal credentials, see their, um, how much funds they had in PayPal, and basically withdraw to any bank account in Argentina uh, with just a few clicks. Um, the service back then was taken as, uh, honestly, like super good by customers um, because there was a lot of people who were actually trying to sell it to Argentina and they couldn't access those funds. They would sometimes just keep them there and wait until someone travels to actually take them out. So it was, it was a, pretty, a pretty interesting product or service. Then, of course, the platform evolved and we had another service as, as we were able to withdraw funds from PayPal. We would actually be able to top up funds on PayPal. Uh, that would take, you would do a tra- uh, transfer to us and within one minute your account on PayPal would be, uh, your funds would be in PayPal. Then came the second alliance uh, with TransferWise. It was related to all the operations side uh, from Argentina, from the money uh, that was coming into Argentina and the money that was leaving Argentina. Uh, the first, uh, the one, the first, let's say, product that was developed was the part of funds entering Argentina. It was pretty interesting in general to know how TransferWise operates and how. Uh, let's say their business model works, at least in this type of uh, environments and situations. Then last, uh, but not least, um, we started working on a digital bank. There was actually, um, it was a project that was from the start since, uh, so the name of the company is is Snubi. I don't know if I said it before. So it was from the start. uh, The idea was to, to build a digital bank, but for Um, different reasons it got postponed until October 2018 in October 2018 we started working uh, 100% on the bank Um, it's not actually a bank with a bank I mean it doesn't have a banking license Um, it would use a model similar to for example Revolut has the only difference is we don't have those type of licenses like for example EMI licenses in Argentina so you would Uh, The funds will be allocated in a bank, like in a standard bank, but then uh, all the funds will actually be virtual allocated to each account of each
0: customer. For those who don't know, can you describe what an EMI license is?
2: So in Europe they have different types of licenses. You have um, from a banking and traditional banking license. Um, You have also uh, PSP licenses and within those you have the EMI license. The EMI is an electronic money institution. What it does and what it means is that um, so basically the funds that you see in in a, these institutions they are not actually considered just money but electronic money. They represent uh, one, for example, one euro, real euro would represent one digital uh, unit. So it's uh, that's the way they describe it because there's not actually the money is not allocated in an actual bank account, but it's it's a general bag. Then they by their system decide or well, they know which, how, much, how what's the amount that actually belongs to to each customer. Um, there's different limitations, of course. Um, let's say the amount of uh, regulation is, of course, much lighter than a normal bank, which also means lesser costs for this type
1: of organizations. Just to, uh, a clarifying point, is that the case that they don't actually handle money, right? The, one of the big things with the, the EMI separations those institutions, those organizations that operate under that license don't actually hold or handle any money, right? All the money is actually being held by a licensed banking institution. Am, am I correct on that?
2: Yeah. yeah, exactly. So they can't actually... So they can't do um, financial intermediation, meaning they can't lend that money. What they can do, uh, I believe, is invest in low-risk assets or investments. Uh, to hold the value of the money. So the way to protect a customer would be, like, I'm an, I'm an institution, I don't actually touch the money, so the money is not at risk. If we go out of business, that money is untouched. So it, w- it was a fail-safe, I think, that was included between uh, this regulation to, to protect customers since you don't have an actual insurance on the, f- on the funds
1: that banks do offer. That, that's great clarification.
0: So did you come to ESA knowing that you wanted to continue a career in FinTech?
2: um yes actually i did um so as, as i said before i mean my career was quite gradual uh, getting more into uh let's say the tech side of uh, finances my experience working at fintech i think was super rewarding uh, i was able to learn a lot of things in just a couple of years um, which i'm pretty sure i wasn't going to be able in another industry i think there's still a lot to do within this industry and um, and Europe was the place to see like where we always like get, got our inspiration back home. It always came from here. So it's always rewarding to be able to be here
0: and work in one of these companies. In your opinion, Andy, why do you think Europe is so advanced in the area of fintech? Well,
2: first of all, I don't think Europe is the most advanced right now. I think they might have started a trend, but you could see the trend also happening in the US with digital banks that were born almost at the same time that happened here in europe perhaps europe has some more uh, well-established regulation that allows these banks to thrive uh, even more um, but at the same time you don't see that many digital banks for example here uh, in europe and i'm using digital banks because i think it's the most uh, common thing that people think like figure out when they say like oh fintech oh i have Revolut account or n26 um the reality is like for example in argentina a lot of these Digital banks didn't happen for two main reasons. One of them was fear like is this business model actually going to work? I mean people are the companies are not charging any for anything for these accounts So how are they making money? How sustainable is this in time? So there's this idea I think in the markets about It's a fantastic thing customers are super happy, but they're gonna eventually die and I think this is something that uh, although it's it's an no old saying it's it's still like valid because you you see revolutes and you see Monso and Starlink Bank, and none of them are actually generating revenue. Um, they still need uh, these um, like backers and investments to actually keep keep on moving forward. And I think uh, during the next years, you're gonna see a change uh, around that.
1: I think that's a fantastic segue into describing a bit more about, BNC 10, uh, and for people who may not be aware, just to describe what the company is and, and, and your view on, on where they sit in the marketplace right now.
2: I mean, I, ca- I can add the fact that perhaps when all these digital banks were born, um, investors were willing to, to put money in a place where the idea was fantastic, but there was no revenue model behind it. And they were like, okay, so we're gonna offer the best experience out there. And we're gonna think about that later. That's that's gonna come. Once we have enough customers, we can cross sell them and we can make money. And I recently heard an interview uh, of uh, one of the founders of a new FinTech in Argentina called ANC, which uh, they do financial aggregation, kind of like open banking. And uh, during this interview, he he mentioned this again. So we, we only take care, we're only thinking about they're giving the best experience and we're kind of thinking about how might we make money in the future, but that's not our current concern. And like deep down, I was thinking, I mean, that's something that probably people were saying six, seven years ago. I mean, I, I don't think investors are so free to to give out money um, with with that premise. Although the investors of ANC is actually Ito Bank, uh, which they try to do this spin off, uh, technological spin off by starting a FinTech outside the bank. But at the same time, I think it's, it's, it's a lot of, uh, um, that needs to move forward. And because banks, like for example, Revolut and all of realities, like over 60% of the revenue still come from interchange fees, which are in Europe are extremely low because they're uh, very uh, regulated. So they haven't been able to actually cross all customers with premium accounts, very low percentage, like, oh, like below 10% in some cases actually uh, have customers with those accounts. So the idea is perfect. They try to sell you like these accounts all the time, but people don't actually see the difference. Like if you're giving me all of, the, all of these for free, why would I would pay for it? And if you make me pay for it, then what's your difference with a traditional bank? And because you offer like half the services they do, why don't I just go with them again? Um, so uh, honestly, like, I think we're gonna be some. There's gonna be some change. Some banks are not, or these digital banks or neo banks, they're not gonna be here uh, in the next years. We'll see which one falls first.
1: They've they've heard some great, interesting uh, arguments for how some of them will monetize and for how others will monetize. We'll see. We'll see. I think it'll be interesting, especially as the non-financial sector starts to bank. You know, when when Amazon puts on its bank, when. Apple has its bank, right? Because Google has its bank. Because I think that will change the the, uh, the business. They will challenge all of the business models uh, all at the same time. It'd be very interesting.
2: And there's something else. I think, so a lot of these fintechs were born just attacking one small part of a big bank. And so when when fintechs started appearing, like, there, like so many, and uh, attacking these small little parts. And what happened is, in the last years big banks started either creating themselves their own uh, fintechs or buying fintechs so as there was this proliferation of fintechs tackling these little problems now the banks were like oh you make this so much better than i do okay here i buy you i buy you and uh so we're starting to see a constant like a re-concentration of of fintechs within banks and that, that is something pretty interesting that is happening and some banks are like either sometimes sometimes the Fintech is not there anymore, I mean they just absorb it, and sometimes they just hold it there and they just you know like uh, make this FinTech offer them the services, which which is just it's a like an interesting business model of how will they, it's, things are developing in in the market.
0: So, what was the recruiting process like for you,
2: Andy? On my side, I tried to uh, contact different companies, tried to uh, go to meetups where we s- still could. Uh, N26 used to host a couple of them. I think they were pretty interesting in general and you got to like to meet a lot of people. Reality is that, uh, so FinTech usually starts recruiting late and I mean, would the COVID thing, COVID situation. Still before that, there was um. There was a career fair here where a lot of inter-companies uh, came here and talked and I have a chance of uh, meeting with the people from uh, the Deposit Solutions. And the um, conversation started, it was going well. Unfortunately, COVID hit and uh, they had to close all new incorporations and uh, internships. I mean, it made sense, I think the last call I had was uh, the Friday that the world got closed down, so it was pretty obvious where, where things were going. Um, luckily, I mean, uh, I mean, at the same time, I was thinking about an idea I had. So worst case scenario, I would do that in the summer. I would develop my own idea. Uh, I wasn't feeling like a lot affected by the situation, kind of like dealing with it. Uh, I was lucky that um, well, I, I really knew. Um, Will, that was later my boss at BNC 10, but they posted a search and as soon as they posted it, I I contacted them and nothing, like literally I think like 48 hours later, I was already in. And that happened, believe it or not, like the last week of school. So it was was a very weird and unconventional type of uh, recruitment and also the way I like approached the whole situation. But I think we we were in a pretty uncommon also scenario with everything that was going on.
0: Definitely, and I I know many people in our class that in the last few weeks got their jobs. Uh, Just with all the uncertainty with COVID, it was very tough for companies to, to bring on interns.
2: Yeah, and well, COVID had also Impact in digital banks, right uh, coming back to the subject as I said before since most of their income comes from interchange fees That went down because people basically stopped spending uh, Therefore their income went down and we've seen a couple of digital banks that actually Stopped their business. It happened in the US with a couple of banks and it's it's sad, but I think crises like this sometimes make times comes faster when it comes to the situations where you know you don't you're not making enough profit okay well maybe you shouldn't be
1: there right time for reckoning I mean definitely in terms of uh, staying competitive right so then so then tell us then how you got to BNC uh, and and what they do and, and how you were kind of attracted to their to their business model
2: for sure BNC 10 was born uh, a couple of years ago and what they were going to develop was the first digital bank based in Barcelona. And they launched, if I'm not mistaken, like openly September 2019. And uh, they're currently around 40,000 uh, users. So the concepts they have developed is, uh, is a very simple uh, one. It's an accounts, virtual accounts with a prepaid card, which is accepted almost everywhere uh, for most services. And of course, everywhere that Massacre is accepted. Um, They also integrated both with Apple Pay and Google Pay for making transactions, which makes it extremely comfortable. And they also offer a virtual card. So even though like a card might take, I don't know, maybe two weeks to arrive to your home, you can already start making purchases with it. Um, So tackling the fact of these digital banks, I think for financial inclusion, they're great for that same sense Uh, You can make an account super fast You can start using it like right away. You make a transfer and uh, And that's it you make a purchase and it also happened back home a lot these uh, digital banks used these uh, accounts for people, for example, they wanted to have Netflix, they wanted to pay for their cell phone, um, and this like online services, you they couldn't access them, access them anymore because bank, big banks wouldn't worry about trying to hire a customer that would leave almost no revenue, it would be even more costly for them. Uh, imagine just receiving a customer in a branch, um, having to do all the paperwork. Uh, the paperwork, of course, is done by someone who should be selling. So it's of course uh, numbers don't adapt. So this 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 type of companies such as being 10 they allow people who maybe their income is not enough for a big bank to want them there, but they can actually uh, operate, make an account in a couple of minutes, and just start transacting.
1: That's fantastic. And then what was your, what was your role with uh, with the team and and. Uh... How was that experience over the summer just talk to us a bit about that and,
2: and well uh i was working in the operation side my boss at bnc 10 is uh william uh Maccahy, that i don't know if i pronounce the last name well i asked him a couple of times i might have made a mistake and um he's actually a former as uh, an alumni from yesterday he's a former student here from a couple of years ago honestly it was a super rewarding experience because uh, I worked in products and I worked in customer experience and was much more on the business side in, my, in the company I used to work in Argentina. So I got to see what's going on in operations. And we, you're going to find out that in most companies, so you, there's a lot of things you can automate and there's a lot of things you can still do manual. So when you develop this type of digital banks or this type of companies, the operations uh, side of the company ends up being crucial and super important. So, like if, unless you, you're very uh, like procedural in, in your own way of thoughts, mi- mistakes can be made. But it's also, the, let's call it, the cheapest way to develop. Because you, you would build everything that would have contact with the user, but then what happens behind that, I mean, you will develop it eventually, but when you, you just launch, there's a lot of things you can still do manually. Um, and one of the cases, like, I don't know, I can, I heard the story about Amazon when they, when they did the one click, uh, purchase that you got the experience of the one click, but on the other side, there was someone actually doing the whole purchase, uh, process to, to do that. So they did it. They they tested a product super cheap. And then they're like, okay, so this works. And they actually developed it. So that allows you to minimize the amount of investment you do to get out to the market while also ensuring to, to test it properly, you know, like to get an actual good
0: product out. Wow, I didn't know that, that's really neat. Yeah, I,
1: I had no idea about that one click.
0: Yeah, it makes me think of a uh, mechanical Turk.
1: <laughs> Amazon very good at mechanical turking.
0: So what surprised you being at a fintech in Europe as opposed to a fintech in Argentina? I think I mentioned before um, that so
2: fintech started later back home. With fintechs, I I mean more like uh, what we see here that are more advanced, talking about open banking, um, digital accounts, etc. Reality is that a lot of the things that are developed back home are actually inspired for what's going on here and if you think what is said about financial inclusion imagine if it impacts in europe the impacts that it can have in a country such as argentina or mexico or brazil i mean not, not only the impact but the opportunities is massive and um so i think that that probably is uh, something what i mean one of the reasons why i'm here I mean, I I don't want to be, I don't want to be in a place where we're seeing outside what's being done. I wanted to be actually in a place where things are getting invented and innovation is happening um, that we might not see back home. I'm not saying it doesn't happen. I I just mean things here tend to happen faster. Uh, Of course, there's more investment and people are more willing probably to take risks to invest in this type of uh, ventures.
1: Just to bring it back um, to, to your experience uh, here over the summer, could you talk a bit about more your day-to-day? What a typical day was like uh, working in a startup neobank? Because that's, these days, I think it's a much harder uh, experience to find, when, given how fast the incumbent fintech neobanks are growing. Just to give people a bit more color on, on that experience.
2: For sure. I'm going to skip up a couple of things, but uh, I'm going to give you the general perspective. Working in a startup means you're probably going to get your hands dirty even though you're doing an MBA. uh, You're probably going to do things that are super high level and also things that are are probably done by a junior analyst or an intern. Which at the same time is pretty interesting because you get to know things from from the base, right? Uh, I always thought that one of the First things that someone that's new to a company should do is for example work in, in the customer service and customer experience and why is that because you feel what's working in this company what's not working what's what's the pain that customers actually have what creates more pain there's a lot of information that you can you can pick up from talking to a customer or or working in, in customer service so that was how our, our day started we saw like the amount of tickets. Of course, uh, if you have more contacts, that means something is not working. or it's not working properly, or perhaps you. If, I don't know. There's an update. What happens? Some. I know. Like it's. It's very hard to make something that works in every single phone and everything works the same. So, um, you you might have some bugs. I'm not saying that happened, but it's. I mean, something that is of course possible for it to happen. Happened recently with Revolut, people couldn't log into their accounts, their, the app crashed on Samsung, on, at least on my Samsung, and I think on all, all, all Androids, and there was a couple of posts on Reddit, people going insane about it, and soon after Revolut launched uh, an update, which allowed users to log in and push notifications through every single channel to try to get it out there, so it happens to the best of them. So how they they started? We checked that we had just a status meeting around 9:30. After that, we spent some time analyzing transactions, seeing what we can uh, build better, what like things that would help him identify trends. We could like put into the system, of course. You can make a lot of proposals, but then everything takes time and everything gets prioritized. Perhaps launching a new product is more important than having I don't know, a specific KPI. So it's was working a lot through that. Um, I was helping them a lot with uh, this process mapping and BPM. Because in, in the startups, what happens sometimes is when you build an app, you don't consider all the possible scenarios right, of someone what if someone clicks here and they go back and they click again and they go back? I mean there's certain tests you just don't do. or uh, what happens if a customer logs in at this time? I mean you, sometimes it can happen that the process is not like completely defined. What and we did is um, we uh, ended up mapping most of the processes they had uh, within the app and try to find if we can like enhance something, like make it better, try to make it shorter, know, less clicks. Um, and also we try to apply it to new developments they're doing trying to put it inside the process meaning before like changing the way they were building instead of like doing it as they used to do where just i don't know the screens and the flow of the screens but actually building the process and saying like okay what happens if i don't know you're trying to i don't know the api fails for x service what happens next so the customer won't be able to go forward what if you charge them for this product, okay, so maybe you need to do uh, like, like, I don't know, go back automatically, you know, there's certain things that you can, you can work around it. So mapping a process actually is super valuable. Of course, it takes more time and you need someone who, who's willing to do it. Uh, it's not a fun thing. I mean, I'm not a fan of process mapping, but I think it's so valuable that like you, sh- you should do it anyway. But I could say that the, the overall experience was like super uh, and very, very interesting and rewarding uh, from knowing how cards are delivered, how, uh, how much time you get, um, specific details about it, about the whole process of when you do the payment and at the same time, like analyzing transactions, you see how uh, normal problems that these digital banks are having because you, you always have like an authorization their a confirmation and things can get reversed and some things are missing and um, banks outside the BNC 10 or their, their service provider doesn't actually map certain, uh, I don't know, yeah, transactions. So you can't, for example, I don't know, um, identify if someone made a withdrawal outside the country that the X amounts of them are free. So since the bank out there didn't actually, you know, like did th- things properly, then you can identify that th- that was an ATM, for example, or that's an ATM that you should like give the money back. So then you need to build a manual process in which, unfortunately, you're going to have to wait until the customer complains and then it's like, don't worry about it, I'm going to give the money back. And there are things that doesn't only happen to BNC10, it happens to everyone. And you think like, wait, but that doesn't happen with my traditional bank. It's like, yes, but traditional banks have been there for a long time. So they're already been through this process of learning. That's why many banks don't want to even touch their systems. Things are, they work, just keep them that way.
0: Yeah, and having worked at a big bank, I, I think that's true. Part of the problem too is if they make an update with an error, instead of it being multiplied at over 40,000 clients like you have at BNC 10, they have it over millions of clients and their losses are uncoverable.
1: I mean, I think one of the observations just from what you were saying, Andy, is, uh, on this day-to-day is that you're properly working at a startup, you know, that there is no day-to-day. It sounds like you had a lot of different projects going on. Uh, you were drawing on a lot of different skills and, and learning a lot of new things. So it just goes to show, you know, you're coming into something like uh, a startup bank, uh, But there's nothing to prepare you for all of the situations that you're in
0: and I I love the part where you were saying start with the customer service because I think in the end you know the customer is the king and make sure that they're having an amazing experience and from there you can build the products absolutely
1: yeah I think that's great it's great great observation
0: thank you for those recommendations that advice Uh, now there are two final questions we like to ask our guests the first is what would you recommend to yourself one year ago today, as a first year. Well, I guess the starting
2: probably the recruitment process uh, a little bit earlier. I contacted companies um, because, of course, not all of them are going to answer, and um, so just don't. I think don't be afraid of getting a no as as an answer or saying like you know we don't offer internships or we don't offer full time positions. Um, it's it's just you're basically uh, trying to. You know like acquire this type of companies uh, and right now i'm doing it for the fintech club part of the um, career path so we're working on just that trying to to target different uh, regions from Latin, continental europe uh, uk and try to reach as much companies as we can because you know that at the end you only want, you're going to convert in an internship or a full-time position just a percentage of those companies so it's it's just a matter of of that of being organized and being able to to follow up. So on our side from the fintech lab, we're trying to work on helping students perhaps don't go through that rough process altogether. I'm not saying don't do networking. I'm saying like I mean do it a lot, but we're gonna try and offer you um, make a backup to that process and saying like okay we're gonna be there. We're gonna we're gonna do this job for you and. Um, just, just be prepared, do your own, but feel confident that at least we're walking this path with you.
1: We're, uh, we're lucky to have uh, such thoughtful leadership here at the ESF Fintech Club. Uh, and, and one more question we like to ask our guests are, uh, what, what books, blogs, podcasts, uh, ways you stay informed, newsletters, uh, to stay on top of the fintech arena would you recommend our listeners,
2: well, I can tell you different things that I would recommend. Um, if you're interested, for example, in digital banking, I'm not talking about a podcast or anything, I'm saying like just research about what's out there, what companies are out there. Most of them are free, so download them, create an account, see how the experience is. Um, I've actually been saving screenshots of every screen and every single interaction I had with every digital bank and every financial company for the past four years. Wow. Um, So that's that's pretty cool. And um, it's amazing. So so from that side, I do have a lot of apps, which is quite annoying, but uh, at least I made one transaction with each one of them to see how they notify you and how does it show what transaction and uh, different different things. Um, There's a lot of information about fintechs out there. I think just Google a little bit and you're going to find a lot podcasts there's one very interesting about fintech but unfortunately it's in spanish it's called sin sucursal it's from argentina um they have super valuable interviews with people from all over Latam related to to fintech so it's uh, it's very valuable
1: i would say fortunately it's in spanish it's good fortunately it's good every audience
2: <laughs> and about books so i read this book about uh, it's called money you have from 1.0 to 4.0, 4.0 is the last one from Red King. It's uh, he's like a futurologist of uh, financial services. And uh, it's, it's very interesting. Sadly, his digital bank actually stopped working when COVID started. It mm-hmm. so was one of the first ones. I actually, their experience with the lunch was fantastic. They developed this algorithms that basically could predict like your expenditure and, and how much money you have at the end of the month, and your next bills, and this, it was super revolutionary back then. Clearly, it didn't gain that what, much traction. What, what was the name? Um, right now, it's gameplay my memory, but if you give me a sec, I can tell you that. Th- it's um, Moving Bank. And Moving Bank was launched in 2011. Um, right now, they still have their corporate side of it. Uh, they offer the platform and the algorithm that they actually built to big banks. And I remember, I think it was last year when I still was still working in the company. The bank that um, it was part of the this corporate group got a contact bank movement to to get the services. So we're trying to get this out there. Um Probably, and it was this. This was even before the bank actually went went down there. So they have a great product. They this is a trademark, and they're trying to get it out there. I think. Uh, there's a lot of small banks are doing the same thing you have simple in the US that got bought one of the branches of BVA but it was also like a fantastic bank by then I remember seeing it how they promoted it and everything it was, it was great so I would suggest that I mean just uh, research there's a lot of content out there uh, download apps play with them and uh, it's, it's it's very enjoyable to see uh, how an app changes like year after year from a very basic version to uh like super advanced and I'm not talking only about Revolut or, or, or those ones uh, you would find it in every single one and you can see like very different ones such as bunk or Bank, uh, which their approach is completely different to all the other digital banks um, how so it's more about I think they go service by service, um, and they, they work a lot around how much you're saving, and not about money, but your impact, like in know, trees and uh, like environment, environments in general. Um, they have a lot of like little perks around that, which is it's cool. It's a completely different approach.
1: That's very cool, Andy. Thank you so much for your time and and sharing your thoughts and your di- very different perspective on. I'm Neo Banks. I think uh, we all learned quite a lot.
0: Definitely. Thank you so much for your time. And uh, thank you guests for joining. Stay tuned. Until next time.